Jason, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 60, in which I'm going to take a look at the philosophic lessons we can find in two of my all-time favorite science fiction trilogies, Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy and Frank Herbert's Dune Trilogy. Most educated people acknowledge, grudgingly, happily, or somewhere in between, that science fiction is a very useful source of information about science. So the proposition that a work of science fiction can be valuable in helping to teach children or adults about science is, I think, rather easy to prove and not very controversial. But what I'd like to discuss a little bit in this podcast is something a little different, and it stems from my experience over decades of reading and thinking about science fiction. And this has convinced me that science fiction is also a great source of material to teach people about philosophy. And actually, this is a point of view I've had for a long time. I began thinking about it when I first read Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. That would have been back in the late 1950s. And then in the late 1960s, when I began reading Frank Herbert's Dune series. And so, what I'll be talking about is how these two great classic science fiction series in particular can help us to better understand a very profound philosophic problem. Now, I'd say that there are probably hundreds, even thousands, of philosophic problems that science fiction can help us comprehend. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to confine my discussion to just one philosophic problem. It's very rich and very deep, It's a problem that concerns the role and nature of knowledge in our lives. This is something Plato wrote about in his discussions of the Meno paradox, in which Plato said that in order to know something, we have to already know it. For how else could we know that what we have is knowledge if we did not already possess some basis to make that judgment? That is, if we did not already have some knowledge in that area. Now, philosophers have been thinking about such questions about the role of past and present and future knowledge for millennia. But here I want to focus especially on one facet of that issue that a mathematician by the name of Pierre-Simon Laplace considered a few centuries ago. Laplace asked a hypothetical question. If there was a super intellect, let's call it Laplace's demon, and it had sufficient knowledge of everything that was going on in the universe at a particular time, could it then predict everything that would happen afterwards? In other words, if we all had sufficient knowledge of initial conditions, could we then therefore predict everything that would happen afterwards? Laplace's answer was yes. 
Now, I think most people would agree that it's impossible, even in science fiction, to have a situation in which we have complete knowledge of everything presently in the universe, or even in our world. But in the two great series of novels, Asimov's Foundation series and Herbert's Dune series, the proposition of what we can know and do in the future, given some valid knowledge of that future in our present, is given brilliant, riveting, and I think very instructive exposition. Let's start with the Foundation Trilogy. First of all, the Foundation Trilogy comes from a series of shorter works of fiction that were published in Astounding Magazine in the 1940s. It's been called Analog Magazine since the 1960s. And the final short story that wound up in the Foundation Trilogy was published in Astounding Magazine in 1950. Asimov credited Astounding's editor John Campbell with encouraging him to develop the stories, including suggesting important elements of the plot. The stories were collected into the Foundation Trilogy, published by Gnome Press in the early 1950s. The trilogy's been reprinted many times, and Asimov later went beyond the original trilogy with some additional novels in the 1980s. But I'm going to confine this discussion to the original trilogy, Foundation, Foundation and Empire, and Second Foundation. Now, in those stories, Asimov sets out a proposition. A mathematician by the name of Harry Seldon is able to devise mathematical equations which summarize the important events in human life and society that are happening at the time. And having posited these psychohistorical equations, that's the name that Asimov gave for Harry Seldon's work, Asimov wants to investigate the extent to which Seldon and his successors can predict the future on the basis of these equations. What makes the story wonderful fiction is it seems at first that the future can be predicted, that Laplace's demon works. There are a series of developments in which the evidence at the time, a hundred or more years after the creation of the equations, seems to be going against what the equations are predicting. But at the end of each of these stories, it turns out that the equations put people in just the right place, just at the right time. So Harry Seldon's original equations do indeed predict the future. And they predict it successfully. The equations are so good that they allow the heroes of these stories, the first foundationers, to survive against overwhelming military odds. As long as they're in the right place at the right time, as projected by Selden's original equations, nothing can harm them. And this includes beating the last vestiges of a galactic empire which has still a very strong general and awesome military force. But Selden's equations work out perfectly and the first foundation wins. So, so far so good for Laplace's demon. And then things begin to go wrong. A mutation arises, the mule, who, as a result of being a mutation, 
has not been accounted for in Selden's equations. And let me mention here that in his 1980s novels, Asimov suggested that the mule might have been an android. But I actually prefer the original biological mutation genesis. The mule is Asimov's first indication that the future cannot be infallibly predicted. And the episodes involving the mule make for some of the most exciting parts of the Foundation saga. Fortunately for the good guys, it turns out that at the very beginning, Harry, Selden, Isaac Asimov set up a special group of people who not only understood the import of the equations, but were able to revise them as time progressed. In fact, prior to the appearance of the mule, the first Foundation leaders really understand not much of the equations. They just know that they have to get out of the way of events in history to let them happen as the equations predict. But when they face the mule, this leads to their demise. And there's a wonderful scene in one of the first stories featuring the mule in which the first foundationers are huddled around a holographic viewer listening to Harry Selden give them some instructions, except the instructions are way off, and there's nothing in there about the mule whose war planes now pierce the sky of the first foundation. So the mule really confounds and seems to defeat Harry Selden and his equations. But... The second more sophisticated group that Harry Selden has pretty much secretly set up, the second foundation, has a meta position in this saga. They are, in effect, Harry Selden's insurance policy in case blindly following the equations does not work. And that's exactly what happened with the unexpected appearance of the mule. And this situation, I think, brings home an extremely important point in the philosophy of knowledge and its value in predicting the future. The fact that human intervention is required, even in a situation in which equations seem to predict what is going to happen, shows that there is no such thing as perfectly predicting the future. In terms of accepting the premise that we could have a mathematics so sophisticated that it could encompass all human activities and therefore permit us to perfectly predict the future, even with Laplace's demon realized, Asimov is saying in his Foundation trilogy that there is still an irreducibly open-ended quality to the future, which means that Laplace's demon is crucially less than a perfect prognosticator. We might think of this as an open versus a closed system, an open universe versus a closed universe. This kind of territory is addressed not only in philosophy but in systems theory. But in a philosophy class, or if you're studying philosophy, if you want to understand something about this issue. If you want to teach students who are at least beginning to think about this particular kind of problem, 
which is if we have sufficient knowledge, can we predict the future? I think there's no better way than having the students read the Foundation Trilogy. Like all great fiction, it puts abstract ideas into a setting that commands our emotional allegiance. Now, Frank Herbert's Dune Trilogy also started under John Campbell's tutelage and published as a series of novels in the 1960s is really a very different kind of story. There are no equations in that universe. That is, no equations that enable people to predict the future. What moves events in Dune are people who have the power to see the future. In particular, the hero of the original Dune trilogy, Paul Atreides, who becomes a Muad'Dib, whose combination of genetic makeup and exposure to a powerful spice, a certain kind of drug, gives him the capacity to see the future. And so we once again have the question, if someone has the ability to see the future, this time in Dune, not through devising an understanding of mathematical equations, but as a result of some kind of metaphysical, drug-related, genetically-based conditions, Can that person be successful? Can he or she triumph over enemies, right the wrongs in the world, and find personal happiness and satisfaction? And once again, the answer in the Dune trilogy is similar to the answer in the Foundation trilogy. Because at first, Muad'Dib does well with his ability to predict the future. He's able to foresee what his enemies may do and take appropriate actions to make sure that those things don't happen. But what then begins to happen, inevitably, is he not only sees certain things in the future not to his liking, but begins to see that if he tries to prevent those things from happening, he will cause other bad things to occur. And in the end, he's actually destroyed by his ability to foresee the future. Paul Muad'Dib loves a woman by the name of Chani. She's captured by one of the bad guy groups. They offer to give her back to him, and he loves her so much, but he can predict the future that if he takes her back, she, in effect, will be someone that he cannot rely on. She will not be the person that he previously loved. She'll be changed, perhaps, in some way, even though she'll seem to him, for all intents and purposes, to be that person. And so, Muad'Dib decides not to take Chani back, to let her die. And as a result, he winds up tearing himself apart. He's caught between the rock of his love for her and the hard place of his capacity to see the future. He wants with all of his soul to accept her again, to take her back, but he can foresee that she is not going to be what she was. So neither solution, taking her back or not taking her back, is acceptable. Muad'Dib walks off into the desert, a broken man. He's another victim of the capacity to have knowledge for the future, a capacity which in Dune is almost a curse. So, what the Foundation Trilogy does on a mass societal level, the Dune Trilogy does in a personal dimension. 
But as for the philosophic question of what value does knowledge of the future have, well, the Dune series, just as the Foundation series, provides this answer. Such an ability does not give you the ability to succeed. Because whatever you might see in the future can put you in an untenable situation in the present where there is no way you can succeed because none of the choices are okay. Well, to people who are interested in philosophic questions, students, teachers, everyone, I'd highly recommend the Foundation and Dune series as vivid instructions, as vivid introductions to one of our most profound philosophic problems. And they're more than introductions. They're stages upon which this problem is acted out, upon which the ironies and paradoxes of predicting the future are invested in dramatic characterizations which give them a compelling, almost flesh-and-blood appeal. Now, we can read with great profit Plato and Laplace and other philosophers on these and related subjects. These come under the headings of epistemology and cosmology, the nature of the universe and to what extent it can be determined. But the science fiction setting, I think, gives us something unique, and we come to identify with the characters and enjoy the stories. And as we do this, we internalize the philosophic issues in a way that I think makes them a permanent part of our thinking. I can tell you this. I think I became a philosopher without realizing it and wrestled with Laplace's demon the day I first started reading the Foundation Trilogy when I was 12 years old, back in the 1950s. And the trilogy has never left me. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Sierra had always done everything for the thrill. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about the plot to save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. 
The Light on Light Through Podcast. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. For Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world. Witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com.